ready to roll. Um, I, I woke up at like five this morning, so I was just all day thinking, this is going to be, what, what state am I going to be in at nine o'clock? But the stage is happiness, Jimbo. So I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. I'm loving it. <laughs> I have to say, the Muppets really got away from me and has become something a bit massive. So I'm just apologising for that up front, and I'll try and get through it. <laughs> I'll try and read it. Fairly quick. Well, mine's going to be quite quick, Sheps, because I've only I've just gone in and out quite ninja on a few ideas. Oh, so I'll, I'll 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 just do that and uh, yeah. Right. Should we just Loving launch it. it? Should we go? Yeah, let's it? launch it, Jimmy. And I like the structure and everything you said. So let's let's get in there. Yeah. I want to say now, in case I can't help but say it later, don't read the list. I'm going to see if I can. I think I know the order of the Muppets, but we'll do it like a quiz because I know there are some dodgy 90s straight nice. to DVD jobbies. So I'll say the ones that I've seen and then you tell me in between those and I'll guess the years. Um, and then <laughs> cool, you tell man. me. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Now I've only got the but Wikipedia, I, I think. But right. we have a well, look cool. at I yeah. know that there are some cheapy, 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 uh, not so good ones. Um, but anyway, let's let's get in. Let's get into it. Uh, zoomy, zoomy, loopy, loopy, fadey, fadey, talky, talky. <laughs> right. I only had a sip of my tea. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. Uh, we are the podcast for um, alternative sequels, prequels, and uh, reimaginings of existing movies so far. I know a bit of telly too, all over the There's place. There's telly! We've, we're, we're getting in there. We're getting in there. Yes, yes. The what if, not you know, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. We're not saying we could do better. Even though before we started this pod, I did basically just say I could do better than something else. But... Generally speaking, we are of love, not hate. And uh, yes, we, we come here to talk about something which is close to our hearts, and that is life and films. And I don't want to ruin it, although anyone who's clicked on it, but Muppets. Uh, we're talking about Muppets today, Jimbo, which was your idea, which it I'm loving. And it was a funny one, because you and I then exchanged a couple of messages and realised a possible possible because i think we both actually managed to circumnavigate it by what you said to a possible flaw in the plan because the original well <laughs> we, we both did circumnavigation i can't wait to hear yours but it, it's not really a possible flaw it's a fundamental element of this podcast which <laughs> which is to say to come up with a plot for something and <laughs> it's and so in that sense it's a it's not a it's not a slight possible for sharp-eyed viewers but I like it. But yeah, to, to adapt a classic novel, I believe, was the original pitch. Is that correct? It was, Sheppy. And the problem being that then all that happens is you just land the Muppets in various roles if you want to. Yeah. And that's it. You know. And that's <laughs> oh. a great game in itself. Um, and again, we mentioned this last week, um, actually. But yes, fun game for anyone. Think of any film you like, your favourite film or whatever. Let's say uh, Superman. And you substitute the entire cast except for the lead role in this case superman and clark with a muppet so everyone else is a muppet and christopher reeve is is kal-el uh, and then you choose which muppet plays who or you go the other way and everyone else is the same gene hackman is there and then bt rip and so forth but superman is for example kermit or gonzo um, and that's a fun game so i recommend that and even write to us with any uh, thoughts 
about that sort of thing. That's all fun. I think we should smash fun. that on social media, Sheppy, actually. We were just talking about good that stuff. one. Yeah, that would be good. There's a little game alongside this. Now, look, yes. I think you are probably a bigger Muppets fan than me, Sheppy, I would suggest. Like, your knowledge of the canon and of the grouping. It's and, close to my heart, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think you kind of ignite reignited it in me almost with our friendship. But you know, I, I I'm a fan. I love them, you know, and uh, y- y- we'll always watch it. But but actually, surprisingly, and we'll get to it in a moment. I've seen probably fifty percent of the movies, I reckon. So, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, do, what, what does it mean to you? You've watched, well, so let me ask you this: mm. Did you you watch the show, the original Muppet Show, when it was yeah. on, presumably early eighties? Absolutely. Loved it. Loved it, loved yes. it. Yeah. Do you There's, have any specific memory from watching it as a kid? Like something happening or something in general? Because I don't really. No. I went on like a little school trip or something for like a week or a few days. I came back. And I remember I think my brother told me that there was an episode with Sylvester Stallone and he played around the campfire on the guitar and Rolf and Fozzie cried because it was a sad song. And I was so upset that I had missed it. And, you know, that's the sort of thing, frankly, that might turn out to have been total bullshit. But years later, I got given this beautiful, I think it was a birthday or maybe Christmas present. There was video and it was years later. I was like 20 at this point. But I got like a whole bunch of Muppet. It was like a box set of Muppet, the original show. And I just watched the shit out of it. It was when I was living in Brixton. It was like ages ago. And they had the Sylvester Stallone one. And I finally got to see it. This This was before YouTube. But I finally got to see it. Uh, and it was exactly as my brother described it. Uh, and I was livid, livid, Jimmy. Uh, but but it's wonderful. So anyway, that's not even a memory. That's me having a memory of not seeing it. Um, I don't know if that, if that helps. <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree with you. It's hard to sort of pin it down. I, I kind of, it all morphs a little bit. I, I tend to think of like Kermit always trying to pull the gang together to get the show together. Miss Piggy always wanted to dance with the hot male guest or whatever it might be, you know. And I, I seem to remember they did a Star Wars one. I'd love to do the revisit of this, Sheps. Yeah. I'd love to revisit that A show. lot of it, I will say, I love the Muppet show, the original Muppet show, um, but a lot of it is really cringy. Uh, I was watching it, this box set with my mum, and it was the Christopher Reeve episode. My mum loves Christopher Reeve, um, but it was a bit of him doing Hamlet, the whole words, words, words bit, and with Piggy, I assume, and him doing this English accent. And it was so embarrassing. My mother had to walk out of the room. I could have paused it, it was a video, but she had to leave the room because it was uh, too cringy. So, you know, I'm just saying that as a big Muppet fan, uh, the show, you know, and sometimes it's like a one song, like musical number too many in an episode, you're like, we just had six weeks. Like, can we just have... My favorite bits of the show are always not necessarily the performances by the guest star and the Muppets or the songs individually, although some of them are amazing. But my favourite bits are always the sketches, specifically the behind-the-scenes bits where Kermit's trying to keep it together and maybe it involves the special guest star or maybe not some random Muppet or any of the classics. Um, That's nice for me personally. And also the Muppet Hospital recurring sketch I love. Uh, And I love Rolf, and so he's like the main doctor in that so that's nice and i like of course pigs in space and things like that so yeah and when it is a a guest star who you personally like 
it does make it more special. When it's Steve Martin or Stallone, you know, or indeed, let's say, Roger Moore, it's like, that's amazing. And then as a kid, it's like Dom DeLuise or something, and you're like, oh, I, yeah, okay, the, kid, the guy from Cannibal Run. But then it's something like Ethel Merman, and you're like a seven-year-old in England going, what a serious... But again, you don't really care because it's the Muppets, and you're not really necessarily just there for the stuff. But anyway, um, that's my thought on the show. Um, and yeah, is that, is that fair enough? I don't want I to... I love it, Sheppy. No, it's cracking. And I, 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 it's have... really interesting, the reality check on looking up for the musical numbers and becoming a Statler Waldorf of sorts. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, I it's true. It's true. It from afar. Yeah. Um, well, with but... that in mind, sorry, I don't want to keep talking over you. Oh, is there anything else you had? No, I wanted to ask you who your favourite one was, but I think you might have given it, like with Rolf there, but... Well, Rolf is up there for me. I'm not going to say actually he's my favourite. He's really special to me, Rolf, quarter pounder without cheese. But I will say Kermit is such a boring answer, but it is Kermit is my favourite. Um, he's one of my personal heroes in all things anyway. So I love Kermit. Um, and But I also love Statler and Wardle as an entity. So that's up there. And I have a spur, uh, one of my favourites when I was a kid, when I was very young, was Animal. So because of that, I've got a special place in my heart for Animal. But ultimately, I love them all. But yes, yeah, special shout out to Rolf but, and Stanley for Kermit. Yeah, what about you? Nice, Sheppy. You know, Kermit, I love Kermit too. I think he's in at number three for me. And uh, and I've got, if you'll indulge me, Sheppy, I did this just in quick prep this morning. I've just got a couple of quotes. <laughs> so I just wanted to share with you because they just made me happy. So um <laughs> Stellar Moldorf are in at number two as well. Like, you know, for me, I love nice. them too, Sheppy. They're wonderful. And um, but just quickly on Kermit, I don't know whether it's gonna happen or not, but I think I've hit a moment for Kermit in my pitch for later. So you just have to tell me whether I have or haven't. But, um just just a, a pathos moment. You know how Kermit's really good at that as well sometimes too, yes. right? So yeah. Um, so just two quick Statlers. <laughs> Statler, I'm not going to do the voices, Sheppy, so sorry. Okay. <laughs> Statler, do you believe in... Oh, oh, there I am. Go for the voices. <laughs> Give it, do, you know, go, just let it take over you. Yeah. <laughs> Statler, do you believe in life after death? Every time I leave this theatre from Waldorf. I think that's quite nice. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, Statler, he's trying to drown us. What kind of an act is that? Waldorf. An act of mercy. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah, Stalin Wardorf, amazing. Is there another one? Well, no, I've got two from number one as well, which is Fozzie Bear for me, Sheppy. Of course it freaking is. I mean, I love him, you know. Um, this is one actually funny. I have Ralph asking him, why don't you wear shoes, Fozzie? And Fozzie going, why should I? I'd still have bare feet. Walk, walk, walk. <laughs> That's genius, and that's right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then this one, okay, so a guy asks me, did you take a bath today? And I said, why is there one missing? <laughs> anyway, well, there you go. that was a little engagement, but, you know. No, that's that what Fuzzy. it's all about. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that Fozzie's your number one. That is, um, you know what? I don't. I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I'm sure I must have known because that's a conversation we must have had. Who's your favourite Muppet? But that's great. That it's Fozzie. <laughs> I didn't even cool. think of it, but a king of comedy with Fozzie would be really something oh special. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Yes, please. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're ripping off Joker." Ah! Um, 
that's great, um, by the way, all of that. So bringing, oh, and also I will say honorable shout out for the classic Muppets is great. I did watch the Muppets Tonight in uh, the mid nineties, which was a show and set in a TV station. I liked it. Sandra Bullock was in one, Pierce Brosnan. It did have really good, you know, people right at their peak as well. Um, and so that was fine. Um, working backwards, but so for me, the Muppets goes into two categories. Uh, there's ba- and it makes sense. It's basically Henson and post Henson. Um, uh, Jim Henson died in the very early nineties. Um, and more or less everything that came after that and the more passage of time, then it does feel to me more and more. And obviously it makes sense, even though a lot of them are still the same performers, actually, um, it feels like more modern Muppets feels like people doing an impression of the Muppets. It feels like, I, you know what, in my mind, and this is psychotic, but, um, the Muppets are like totally real and it's like Monty Python. So they are real and they live their lives and they're not 100% versions of the characters they play. So like the Muppet show is not a documentary, it's a scripted comedy show and they're playing Larry David versions of themselves. And that's how I see it, the films and everything and the Piggy Kermit romance on and off, you know, no, you know, they, they work together, they're friends, but it's like, you know, Larry and Cheryl, for example, in real life, it's like, and it's this constructed universe that's just lasted for decades and decades. Um, and it is Monty Python. And so when, say, a Terry Chapman dies, then it's, it's someone doing a, a very good you know, Chapman impression, but it's not going to be Chapman. And it's that. Um, and even though the Muppet Christmas Carol, which uh, was just after, you know, Henson died and Jim Henson didn't perform Kermit, for example, it really captures the spirit. And that, so that's an overlap. So... I'm, and, you know, so that that's a flaw in my you know, ultimate, but that's because it's the magic of Jim Henson, so it works very well. Um, so that, I'm just saying that, and I'm, I'm going to work backwards, but I'm going to say, Jimbo, in case I forget, I believe the last film you and I saw together at the cinema whilst we were both living in England was The Muppets in 2000. The film was 2011, but it must have been spring 2012 when you and I saw it. It's a once happy and a once sad that it's been bloody 10 years, Sheppy, since we've been to the We have seen other things, but that, uh, we, we've seen a few other things since then, but that was the last one when we were both living there. We saw it in Hackney in the Picture House. Um, so there you go. That's just like a sort of a sort of a modern version. Normally, it's like oh, Regal Cinema, nineteen eighty-four. This is uh, Hackney Picture House, like two thousand twelve. So that's <laughs> nice. So we have that connection. And I will also say that I, after writing my pitch, I was obviously in a Muppety mood, mood, and so I watched the Muppets, which is the name of the two thousand eleven film with Marta, um, and it was the first time that I had seen it since we saw it at the cinema. It's much better than I remembered it. I, the thing is, it's that whole thing about people doing impressions of the Muppets, but it is really good, uh, and I will be watching the Muppets Most Wanted at some <laughs> It's got good songs, is my memory. Yeah, like, I remember yeah. it's very funny. It's got that guy from Concords writing them, isn't yes, it, Brett? Yes, and, yes. Uh, yeah. Like, so that's... It's made with a lot of love and heart, isn't it? That's my. It's pure. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's really good. And Have it you seen Most good. Wanted as well? Yes, I, yes, yeah. and it's not as good, but yeah. I, I, I'm going to rewatch that at some point soon. Um, yeah. But 
yeah, I think it's fine. And yeah, there's good effects. Yeah. So forth. Okay. So, um, but yes, in terms of the films, then, if we just talk about the, the Muppet movies, then, unless there's anything else. No, I um, think I'm good, Sheppy. So let's do it. Let's, let's, so yeah. the original Muppet movie, I believe, is 1978. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, look, Wikipedia has it at 79, but who knows, right. Wiki, right? Okay, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, that's fine. So let's say 79. Uh, Muppet movie, I saw it a lot as a kid, um, loved it as a kid, and I don't think there was it ever really went away, and I revisited it every few years, maybe you know, there was a five-year gap or something, but it hasn't really gone away. Um, and the last time I watched it, you know, which was not obviously for this podcast or anything, only a year ago. Um, it's and it's it's really good, and it is my favourite Muppet film. Um, and it's I, I never think of this when people ask, like, because people ask me this all the time, Jimbo. I'm sure they do too. What's your favourite musical? To which I say various things, but I never think of the Muppet movie. And it's obviously a musical. It's the it's, it's a musical, of course it is. So it's so it's probably my favourite musical. In fact, it's not better than Greece. So yes, it's my favourite musical. Um, so there you go. And speaking of good songs, the, the, the songs in the Muppet movie uh, are phenomenal. And that's a five out of five, and that's in my top 20 of time, actually. So there I mean, you go. It's definitely my favourite Muppet movie, too. But yeah, wow, Sheppy. Makes me want to rewatch that. It's that, solid. Yeah. It's really solid. Do you, and that was obviously the biggest influence on me when I wrote the mm. pitch as well. Do you have any specific things um, about the Muppet movie? Look, no, I remember watching it again about 10 years ago. And like, it's one of the, because it starts with Kermit um, singing his song, doesn't he, in the, yeah. in the creek. Is it a creek or whatever? Like kind of swamp. Everglades, swamp, sorry. And uh, yeah, and it's just like, uh, I remember just being immediately re-hooked in, like within seconds. I'm like, yes, I'm all in on this movie. And then it just absolutely delivering. And so I, I'm I'm due a rewatch, and I'm going to on the strength nice. of that ship. So just wonderful. Very nice. I'll also mention that it's the Muppet movie, which was made at the height of the Muppets' success and zeitgeist and so forth. So it has easily, easily the best selection of cameos in some of the later Muppet films. Not necessarily most wanted, but um, you know, in, in some of the later original Muppet films. The, for example, so the second one is The Great Muppet Caper, which I think is 81. And Very it's good. good. It's, thank you. It's not in the same league, but it's a very, it's good. Now, the cameos in that, I mean, Charles Grodin isn't a cameo, he's the main villain. And Diana Rigg isn't a cameo, she's like a character. They filmed it in England, and so it's mainly kind of random English. You know, you've got your P.T. Houston off as a cameo, and that's nice. No, 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 nothing else is jumping out at me. And again, I only saw this film about a year ago, so I like the great Muppet Caper very much, but it is, the songs are noticeably a bit shit. Um, and it does seem like it drags a little bit, actually. Um, but it is great, and I like it. And it's my, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's my third favourite of the original Muppet. So nice. do you have a thought about I don't even remember it, Shetty. I don't even it's, remember it's, it. It's good. It's, it's, a, it's a good <clears throat> laugh. And Grodin, of course. Uh, then... It's the Muppets Take Manhattan, which I'm going to totally guess is 88, 87. Ooh, it's closer. It's 84. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. Only a couple of years. Now, 
again, I saw this a year ago because we did a whole Muppet season. And it was the first time I'd seen Muppet Sick Manhattan for, you know, since the 90s. Uh, and I always liked it, but I never loved it. But I will say, watching it now, it's doing something else. I believe it's directed by Frank Oz, and it's the only Muppet film. You would assume he did more, but it's, I think it's the only Frank Oz Muppets. Um, and it's, it's good, but it's almost more serious. And talk about cameos when Gregory Hines is the height of your cameo prowess. You know you're in a bit of trouble. But never mind, good old Hines. Um, uh, it, but it's good, actually. I like the Muppets Take Manhattan. And it's a little, it's not even a cameo because it was before Star Trek, but Gates McFadden, who also choreographed the dances in uh, Labyrinth, she, she pops up being attacked by Animal at one point. And she went on to play Dr. Beverly Crusher in Star Trek. Oh, nice. I will say at this yeah. point, Sheppy, I mean, obviously Muppet Movie is Muppet Movie, but just out the gates, three fantastic movie titles. I just yes. nailed the titles, the brilliant yeah. titles. Yeah. Yeah, the Muppet Movie. I mean, yes, it totally works. And it, yeah, exactly. It's it. Yeah. And the Graham and Caper, Muppet Sing Hand. Yes. Uh, have I missed anything? Are there, so the next one, unless you have anything about the Muppets Take Manhattan, did you ever see that one? No, I, I did. I can't remember it either, Sheppy, to be honest. It, it, I'm, I'm absolutely overdue a revisit of all of this stuff. It's I okay. mean, you're probably not going to yeah. touch on it, but but 1984 was also notable for the launch of Muppet Babies as well. But we'll oh. just leave that there, <laughs> unless you want to extrapolate. I liked no. Muppet Babies. I, I have nothing but happiness towards Muppet Babies. <laughs> I could sing the theme tune, but I'm not going to. I don't. I think I, I haven't seen an episode since it was originally on. But um, yeah, good old Muppet Babies, fantastic, absolutely. Um, then. I don't think that um, there's another Muppet film until like 92. Is that correct? Yeah. And that's yeah. the Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, now that is almost my joint favorite. I, I have to, it is basically my joint favorite Muppet film, but I cut it. It's um, if I have to choose, it's, it, it's 51% is the Muppet movie, but Oh my God, Christmas Carol is special. And by the way, not wanting to get into the politics of what constitutes a, a Christmas movie and the whole Die Hard aspect, but Christmas Carol is my favourite Christmas film, um, wow. and it's and it's it's great, and the songs in that are amazing, and they're by Paul Williams, who also did the original songs. You can tell he's absolutely the other end. So, so Muppet Christmas Carol is something really special, um, and I, I like it a lot. So, so there you go. Um, what do you, what do you I only recently saw The Muppet Christmas Carol, Sheppy. Can you believe that? Like, I didn't see it. But the movies, I saw it about maybe three years ago. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like it. I really like it. The, it. Sometimes these things are all about when you see them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, yeah. I have this very special place for Scrooged in my heart. <laughs> right, <laughs> for right. a re of that. But I, but I do love it, and I see why everyone loves it, and I get it. And Michael Caine is phenomenal in it. And, yeah. uh, and they go there and they do something in it, um, you know, uh, in the sort of the Tiny Tim storyline, which you're not expecting. Yeah. And, um, yes, and, and I, it's a I, really yeah. good adaptation, actually. Yeah. Uh, whenever many people always ask me, what's your best film adaptation? Um, I always forget to say The Muppet Christmas Carol as well. Uh, but that's that's definitely, yeah. Um, so there you go. I love, love, love The Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, it's equal to Die Hard if you have to say, Die Hard is a Christmas film. It's like, okay, fine. 
So that there you go. Good stuff. Then it's Treasure Island, which I saw in the cinema. Um, and again, I saw that a year ago to finish off our Muppet Kappa. Um, and it it's good. It's fine. It's definitely... I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's good. Um, yeah, but it's... It, yeah. It's, it's got some good, they've all got really good bits, but yeah, it's all right. After it's it's like you know after Christmas Carol, you know, it, and it is really not no subjectively not good. But there you go. Then a few years after that was uh, Muppets from Space, which I'm going to say is ninety eight, ninety nine, yeah, two thousand, ninety eight, no ninety nine, yeah, ninety nine. What a year! Um, <laughs> and I saw that at the cinema, and I uh, haven't seen it since, and it's all right. It has a straight story reference which you don't usually get in a Muppet film. So, did you see Muppets from Space, no, Jimmy? No, I, I really didn't. It feels like I sort of dug my heels in. It wasn't really a stand I took in 1985 after Take Man. <laughs> but uh, I obviously didn't. I didn't do Christmas Carol until recently, as I said, but I just, mm. I remember Treasure Island coming out because I was working in a cinema then. And maybe oh, it was just the even more you yeah. went out of your way not to see it. Oh, that's dark. You went to watch the last five minutes of Gladiator again. Well, look, let me say this. Um, it's all right from what I remember, but I will say that when I saw, which was at university, I saw uh, Muppets from Space in a double bill, and immediately afterwards, we, uh, or maybe it was even before, uh, we saw uh, The Iron Giant. And The Iron Giant, we were not ready for how good that was going to be. And we love the Iron Giant so much. But it's amazing that that made, of course, poor old Muppets from Space really pale even more, which is probably another reason why I haven't seen it since. And then I don't think there was another official Muppet movie until 2011 with the Muppets, and then 2013 um, with Muppets Most Wanted. And I know there was a straight-to-DVD or even a straight-to-video Muppets go to... Um, Wizard of Oz type thing. And oh, the only really? reason I know that, yeah, because I think Tarantino plays Oz at the end. Or, or he has a cameo anyway. Um, so, so there you go. That's the only... It's like one of the biggest cameos it could possibly be, but it's like the cheapest, worst film. But I guess Tarantino really likes the Muppets. He was like, you know, they're never going to make any more Muppet films. And then they made the Muppets and he must have been gutted. So there you go. Um... That, that's my Muppet run through. Is, is, that, is that good stuff? Is that okay? It's good Do stuff, Sheppy. I think it's good. I'm happy. And I think we should get to the pitches. Yeah, I'm loving it's it. It's your game. Yes, well, this was your suggestion, mm. the old chestnut. So please uh, take us to the movies. I'm trying to experiment. Now this is like episode 14 or 15 or something ridiculous. I'm like trying to now introduce catchphrases. Take us to the movies is what I will now say for every time. Like at the end, we should have always said something like, you know, shoulders of giants will return in shoulders of giants. Never did, never did. Absolutely ridiculous. So, <laughs> muppet us, Jimmy. Muppet us. I'm just, uh, okay, well, look, I've got three projects for you, Sheppy. I don't want that to have you... Um, reaching for uh, a heavier drink. <laughs> They're going to be quite quick. Yeah, it's going to be quite quick. Um, but but I just, so I'm going to give you the first two first. So, and, and 
So the first one is just simply, <clears throat> excuse me, the first one is just simply what we talked about last week, which was kind of what inspired this, was just thinking if they were going to do Shakespeare, I'd always thought like a Muppet Summer Night Street would be quite fun. Nice. And honestly, it was only because I quite like the title, only because I quite like the idea of Fozzy as bottom. Like I could just <laughs> see him being bottom rather than maybe Gonzo. Is it, would it be Fozzy, but with a like a, a donkey head? Or would it... Or, <laughs> Would it be a donkey talking with Fozzie's voice and with his hat? That's a brilliant thing. I think it's Fozzie that gets the donkey head. Yeah, I think nice. I think he's a fool when it happens to him. You know, yeah, definitely. And I think, um, what else? I had a couple of, like, I went through the, the cast list. It's one of those interesting things. It is, It's there's a lot of, I guess, from memory, quite strong female leads in, uh, in Midsummer Night's Dream. And there aren't enough female Muppets, you know, as we talked about last time. Well, so. there are lesser, I don't want to say lesser, because that's really rude, but there are, you know, obviously there's Piggy and there's Janice, and then that's really it in terms of the A-listers. But there is Peggy Sue, or is it yeah. Curly Sue? And there, there are there are plenty of female Muppets, just not famous ones, but ones who are always there and used if necessary. Um, but yeah. I mean, who do you see then for the Piggy, for example? Yeah, well, I, I think I put her as um, Titania, Queen of the Fairies, you know. I think Makes maybe sense. she needs to be at that level. And uh, I, I haven't covered all the cast strip. I kind of just gave up because I knew I wasn't really going to do this one. And I Is Kermit really... going to be Oberon? No, well, you know what? That would be perhaps the obvious way to go. I actually went with, and this is very personal, but I once played Peter Quince in a school play of Midsummer Night's Dream. And, um, and I really lent into the John Cleese of what that character, because he's very frustrated with his players. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. trying to corral them all the time. And I just can see <laughs> Kermit, you know, that's exactly yeah. what he does all the time, isn't it? You know, he's trying to corral nice. his players. So I thought um, maybe he'd be, he'd be a good Peter Quince. So that's just absolute, I don't know. That's um, great. <laughs> and by the way, let me say this, um, because I'm always putting Kermit in the main part because I love Kermit. But actually, for example, Christmas Carol, he's he's a Bob Crutchet. So it's like, you know, it's, he's not obviously, you know, and he wouldn't work as Scrooge, but it's like, so yes, side him on like a really memorable, meaty role. That's that's great. And I've got, and Puck, I, did, I thought Gonzo could have a crack at Puck. You know, let's put Gonzo yeah. front and centre, maybe, you know. Um, but that's all I've really done there, Sheppy. I haven't even thought about other... You know, accepting there are other female Muppets, but even other female cast members, or even who the a male real person in there. I just but kind that of would, scrapped that would it. work so if Muppets yeah. were going to do any Shakespeare. I mean, personally, I'd I'd like to see King Lear because that that would be amazing. But in in like a real scenario, then Midsummer is a, is a great choice. Um, for sure happy isn't it and silly and has some potions and fun so yeah maybe worth working on one day sorry I just got off on one but you could do much ado about nothing with Kermit and Piggy that works really well yeah it does doesn't it yeah that would be good too yeah (laughs) well look then I, I was thinking about that and then I had a shower moment and I was like no 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 Jimmy classic literature let's go for it what about Robin Hood and then I got really excited about Robin Hood and I was thinking nice. about it and then obviously did a quick did the Muppets ever do it and of course they've already bloody done it you know they and they did it in episode 323 of the Muppet Show well apparently. I mean but look though you can't you know because of course in the show they have done everything if I based my pitch on what they've done in the show then 
I would have no pitch. I wouldn't even have a title because I'm pretty sure they've used the title. So don't worry about that. It's not, you know, it's one thing to not repeat a film, but you can dip into the into the show for sure. Well, I mean, look here. I I'm not even going to go too far into this, Shepard, because I think they probably aced it from the way they they landed the cast. You know, they put Kermit as Robin. They put, um, well, funnily enough, they had Lynn Redgrave as Maid Marian. <laughs> but, oh. um, yeah, which, which I think you go with Piggy now, don't you? And then um, and and Fozzie Bear as Little John, Gonzo as the Sheriff, um, and and Ralph as Fire Fry Tuck, which is nice. Uh, but I, I think. Um, <laughs> The couple of things I would just add to that before I get to my main event is just I love the idea of like Electric Mayhem playing at some Sheriff of Nottingham feast, like you know, plucking strings but not like not managing to be disciplined. Like I don't know, that would be quite fun. Um, and then um, the I, I think I'd love the idea of it being in the nineties or something and getting someone truly like terrifying to play the Sheriff instead of Gonzo, maybe and Gonzo joining the Merry Men, and yeah. maybe it's like a. I, I, I mean, of course, if you just bloody put Rickman back in there and had everybody else as the Muppets, that would be pretty amazing. Um, but but I thought I thought maybe Walken or someone from the nineties would be quite oh, fun sweet. to play off. Oh the yeah! Oh god! By the way, so I mean, going with um, Robin Hood in that template because it's funny because Prince of Thieves, and I've never been one hundred percent sure why they did this. They've got the sheriff, and then they've got his sidekick being Guy of Gisborne. But then why not have, they could have just changed the names and had Wincott as, as the sheriff and Rickman as Prince John, because it's the same dynamic. Exactly, they just got rid of the prince. And I, I don't mind. It's just I'd love to know why they chose that, because there's no difference uh, in terms of yeah, the power yeah. dynamic or anything. So there you go. Maybe there was a subplot about him not being the real person who's like the, the witches son but even so they could have done that anyway yeah weird but i like it um the bear as little john harkens back to the disney puppets but i have no uh, uh, yeah. the disney disney robin hood but i have no problem with that because it has to be fuzzy um so yeah i love it that's great yes so the real one i want to just and this i've only got a couple of things with it sheppy but just i've got the juice of it um is a movie made now but set in the 60s and 70s, so I've, I've got it as, you know, made 2021. It's the movie we need now, to be honest with you. Um, it's called The Muppets Come Together. It's directed by Cameron Crowe. The Muppets are all playing themselves, essentially. Um, we've got one human being properly, um, and that is Russell Crowe playing Bill <laughs> Sargent, um, who basically is a, a concert promoter and... Uh, and now, the, Russell Crowe is the one guy, I, I'm not wedded to Russell Crowe, but he's his best I can come up with right now. I think he looks a bit like Bill Sargent and he would, have, you know, it's proper gravitas actor, I guess. Nice. Um, and then we've got, um, you know, real, not really true actors, more really leaning into the lookalikes because they're running and be very peripheral and seen from a distance, but four people that look exactly like the Beatles, basically. And um, we, we're going to basically start in the 70s um kermit is sort of with piggy bit of a put upon dad um he is working for bill Sargent in the tier of concert promotion wow. this is in the decade where the beatles have effectively split up and um and he's he's got electric may kermit's got electric mayhem on his books 
um, and Ralph maybe as a rival to Elton Rolf. John. Ralph, sorry, uh, as a rival to uh, Elton John. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, like you know, he's got those two artists on his uh, nice. on his books, and um, and he's basically <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's like you know they're 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 both both bands are like kind of you know these British guys taking out you know they're, they're getting all the sales. And um, but anyway, and. Um, most important thing is Kermit is basically a bit like lost at the moment. You know what I mean? He's kind of going through a Jimmy Stewart wonderful life, like existential. What am I really all about? He's trying like, you know, he, he misses the days of the Beatles, the heyday of the Beatles and all this sort of stuff. And we then, we basically go back and forward in terms of like a back to the sixties, almost famous type style. So Cameron Crowe's channeling a bit of that. Um, and, um, and we see, you know, the early days of like Kermit, right? A bit, a bit like Muppet movie type thing, you know, Kermit coming to New York, um, getting into the big city, Beatlemania is everywhere. Um, you know, he meets uh, Fozzie as a struggling stand-up comedian. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're flatting together. Um, I got, this, is, this is actually not a very good joke, really, but just, anyway, they meet <laughs> um, Gonzo in a bar. And um, Gonzo's a Vietnam War vet. And um and and uh, and Gonzo's like yeah I got really badly injured like that and Fozzie says something like oh God your nose and he's like no no my leg my leg whatever like something stupid uh, but but anyway um, and then look those three form a bit of a friendship in that time but then they kind of obviously over time part you know what I mean and um so Fozzie's moved out to the suburbs and is no longer a stand up and he's doing a sales job and um. Potentially, I don't know, Gonzo's got his own surrogate family. Rizzo is going to be a dad. He's going to be, I guess, a grandpa of some sort. You know, they're, they're, they in themselves have got, like, just little side things. They've grown up in the 70s as well. And they haven't seen each other as a group of friends in a long time. Um, and then the one moment I wanted to just give you here, Sheppy, of course, the, the kind of the, the engagement is that, you know, they're trying to get the Beatles back together during the 70s. That's that's the objective, do you know what I mean? And, and, um, and, and Kermit working for Russell Crowe is trying to get that going. And then, um, and, and it's really close and they're about to, like, you know, they feel like they're, they're going to get the concert together and all this. And Bill Sargent, who's got millions and millions of dollars, is offering 50 million. And there's a moment where, um, you know, Bill, Bill Sargent's trying to get hold of, of Kermit or something and he finds out he is and there's just a dash for Kermit across um, New York to try and get home, to get the call in time, to get the concert booked and all this sort of stuff. And, um, and he gets home and, um, and he has the call and Piggy's there saying, uh, Kermit, it's Bill. And so Bill like, picks up the call and then he just he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then puts down the phone and Piggy gives him her, you know, she always goes, well, so she's really excited for Kermit and then Kermit looks at her and then you know like the Kermit gulp you know how Kermit yes. does his little gulp yes. Kermit, he gives it a Kermit gulp and he just goes it's John and, that. and then basically you just get the full like international grief of John Lennon being assassinated well, this is in a that hardcore yeah I just thought like we're not going to obviously say what happened to him necessarily. We don't have to talk about. But that. it's it tackling real world, like yeah, like yeah, Vietnam and, and yeah, I'm loving I, it. Well, I wondered actually on that Vietnam point as well. Like maybe there's just something there around. You know, Fozzie's been making some bad jokes about the Vietnam War. And then Gonzo just flips his mind a little bit, like, do you know what I mean? Just by saying a couple of things. Like, and it's all light. It's all froth. It's all on the surface. But, you know, it's just that sense of right now, we can't even bloody have discourse, can we? We can't even talk. 
without it being like, I have to take that side right or left. I can't have a, a discussion where I might change my opinion a bit. Do you know what I mean? Just by having an open chat with a friend. It just feels almost impossible, you know, without, without being judged these days, right? So that's part of the pun on come together. It's part of that, you know what I mean? It's all that sort of stuff. And then look, just this, I just thought that would be just quite a, we just touch on the fact that John's gone. We don't necessarily say how, but then there's obviously this huge outpouring. And then, you know, there's then that's kind of like a three-quarter way of the movie. And then we basically get, you know, some form of reunion of Fozzie and Gonzo that Piggy maybe coordinates and, and everything's happy, you know what I mean? And the, you know, they appreciate what they have in life or whatever as well, you know, and they, but they come together as a group of friends, you know, like oh, and, I'm, that's nice. and I'm going with a zero cameo from Paul and Ringo. It's not that movie. Do you know what I mean? We just <laughs> we just see the Beatles as they sort of looked yeah. and were from a distance and all that kind of thing. Yes. I'm sure there's a fun scene where they try and get tickets off a towel and get in the back and like you know back in the day, you know, and uh, yeah. yeah maybe Kermit meets Piggy and she's a groupie for the Beatles at the beginning as well or something, you know what I mean, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it'd be quite nice to tell the story and just your tiny Tim little punch moment, just drop your John Lennon in. And, uh, yeah. Might be yeah. quite nice. But. That's great. And it's real. It's like spanning. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've never thought of it. It's like it, most Muppet films maybe take place over the course of a few days or, you know. But yeah, this is like an epic sweep. Um, I like it. I like it a lot, Jimbo, and it sounds like exactly how the world is for right now. I'm loving it. Uh, very good. What the world needs now is Muppet, 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 and I agree. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'd, I'd watch the shit out of that. That's wonderful. Yeah, good stuff. So that would be now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Why not, man? So over to you, Sheppy. I'm really excited. So All right. Well, the dog's perking up, so so that's all right. <laughs> well, look, let me say this as well, because I, I forgot to mention this earlier. One thing I really like about the Muppets um, is you mentioned Kermit doing the gulp and so on. They're all so expressive, and I, you know, project onto, you know, like most people do, I think. You know, you see this thing, which is ultimately expressionless, and even without the clever manipulation of the hand inside the face creating these little ticks or whatever um you look at Kermit and it's like there is this hole they're like ping pong balls but you look into those eyes and it's an ocean it's amazing um so my mind goes much much deeper I love little things where someone's in the background doing something funny and the Muppets is 99% all background stuff being funny and foreground stuff um and every Muppeteer and every Muppet performer was always told by Jim Henson to just, you know, really go for it. And they all did. And it's like, you know, you're not just a spear uh, holder, you're, 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 you know, you, so everyone always went for it. Um, and little just Muppet expressions or even lack of expressions. And not lack of expressions because they're Muppets, but like that sort of po-faced, non-responsive expression when something wacky happens in a film. That Chevy Chase, for example. That makes me laugh. And little double takes, uh, Kermit, but a lot of Muppets do double takes a lot. I'm a sucker for double takes. Uh, and all of that, just the tiny, tiny details, um, I, I really like. And I probably read into little things like this tiny look that Gonzo gives or something in like one scene from one of the films. But I, 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 I put so much into it and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. So I like that. So I just that's one aspect of the Muppets that I liked. And there's one story I heard that one of the Muppeteers, when they were doing this in England, they made the Muppet show in England because Lou Grade said yes, and all the American producers said no. 
originally to Henson's pitch, and that's why they did it in England, which is why one week you've got Steve Martin and the next week you've got Bruce Forsyth. Very strange. 70s as fuck. But nonetheless, um, one of the Muppeteer performers said, so they filmed this in a huge you know, studio, but they only took up a tiny corner of it. Um, so his work, walk to work, you know, he parked the car or whatever, enter the studio and then did this really long walk through this freezing cold, dark, not lit, unused soundstage with footsteps echoing and everything. And it's just totally dark, of course. And right at the far corner is where they're filming the Muppet Show and he's walking towards it every morning. And it's just this ball of light, of pure yellow sunshine, happiness, Toontown energy coming from the corner. And there's the sounds of laughter where everyone's laughing and having a good time and just coming up with stuff and improvising as Muppets. And, and he said, you know, for, for a few years, you know, every walk to work was the best moment of his life. And it was like, oh, my God. And if that doesn't personify what personally I like about the Muppets, that, that's good stuff. That gets me, Jimbo. That gets me where I live. That's lovely. So, so I wanted to throw that out there before I, I get into, the, into my film. And also, I really want to apologize because I really went off on one. Uh, there's so much more detail in like the opening bit, which isn't even, you know, I could, I could, I could condense literally like the first chunk of this into like a few lines. I'm not going to, I'm so sorry, but um, I've really gone into it because I think my entry into this, like you say, I had an idea in terms of the classic for The Three Musketeers, and I thought that lent itself really well. To, the, to a Muppet film. Uh, and I always actually thought that's weird that Disney never made a Three Musketeers back in the day, but that's right for that sort of thing. Um, and then I, but I also wanted to do um, The Scarlet Pimpernel, because I like the film. I haven't read the book, but I, I, I love the 80s film. And I thought Gonzo would be a very good, and also it's a superhero story, essentially. Um, it's like Robin Hood meets Batman, meets Zorro. Um, so I thought that would be quite good. But in the end, like you say, I would be coming up with my own plot for Scarlet Pimpernel because of the advantage of my never actually having read the original source material. But in the end, I went off and did something totally different with one important element that obviously you can see. Um, so so that, that, those were two things that I thought about. Then I did this whole other thing. Um, now, because of what I said earlier about the whole Jim Henson, you know, before he died and after he died situation, that this is during the peak Muppet time. So this film that I've come up with is 1985. So it would be, as it turns out, I thought it would be after uh, Muppet Caper. I'm gonna say I'm bumping, I'm not changing 85, I think that's a good year for this. But, so I'm, but I'm bumping, I don't wanna get rid of Takes Manhattan, but Takes Manhattan is now like 87, 88. Um, and that works fine. Um, and if it, this won't interfere with the filming of Labyrinth, don't oh. worry about it. Labyrinth is safe. It's in the bank. They can't take that away from you. And the same with The Dark Crystal as well. But this is 1985, um, which means that when it came to deciding on cameos, um, I, I, I went in, you know, obviously it's 1985. So I, I, I put, yeah, so it, bear that in mind. So uh, the, the film is called A Very Novel Muppet uh, and it's directed by Jim Henson and James Frowley. And Frowley directed the Muppet movie. And I checked, he was still alive in 85, so they're, they're doubling up. 
And you've got your, your Jim Henson, your Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, Dave Golez, all of the Muppet performers. Um, and then the main human cast, I mean, there, there were two um, main human casts. The one is played by Christopher Lloyd, uh, 85, uh, so pure Back to the Future, but that's fine. You can do both, that's fine. Uh, and also the actor, and again, it's not a cameo, it's just a, it's a role, the actor, you know, Kenneth Mars, I, I looked, I had to look up the name. I knew the face in my head. Uh, I knew the face in my mind of what Kenneth Mars looked like specifically, but I couldn't, for a few days, it was a real Lance Jameson. I, 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 I knew exactly what he looked like and I wanted him to play his character. I know who he is now. Yeah, well, he's the uh, Nazi from The Producers, the original. Okay. Probably his most iconic role in springtime for him and all of that but actually um and he's in a lot of stuff i i indeed beat this guy he he, he he you know he worked a lot and he's in a lot of stuff um but i was actually picturing him uh, it turns out he was in fletch uh which by the way was 1985 so it's exactly so you know by coincidence this was 1985 i decided for this muppet film I wanted this guy, how I saw him in my head, and when he looked like that, it was from Fletch, which was 1985. So tell me the cosmos doesn't have a plan, Jimbo, and I'll give you a sock in the chops. So um, Kenneth Mars played in Fletch, if you're interested, the guy who he goes to see in his one film. He's like Alan Stanwyck's father or the, the wife's father. He's the guy who is says, like, God, I admire you um, in, in his office, um, and he's got his... Uh, like nosebleed thing on his face. So anyway, Kenneth Mars, he, he's done this sort of fat cat business and, um, and that's, that's him. I think he died in 2005. So I'll Kenneth Mars. Um, and then I've got an assortment of cameos, but we'll get to that. Um, so the film opens and it's a, um, it's a, it's a cold open uh, on, a, on a limo or a Rolls Royce or something like that. And it's the face of a 10 or 12 year old boy uh, called Simon, but I'm gonna call him Cy, uh, because I feel the first expression, this is, I'm making this bit up right now, so my head is called Cy, because the first time you see him, he's looking out of his car window, sighing, because he's bored, that, but I've just made that up. But anyway, his name's Cy, um, he's bored, he's in the back of this nice car in the city, it's basically New York, but you never see it, that it's obviously New York. Uh, and his father is Ern, played by Kenneth Mars, who's a fat cat, business, cigar chomper, and he's on his car phone making deals and being all capitalist and so forth. Um, so Sai watches the city as the streets flash past. He's disconnected, he's isolated. Uh, eventually, Ern hangs up. He's like, good news, Sai, it's all done. That was the last call I promised. The day is ours. What do you want to do? Baseball game? I can introduce you to the players. Minor league, but bench warmers are integral to the game. Or are you hungry? You want to eat? Any restaurant south of the river? You want three star? You got it. You want four star? I might got it. I need to check with Marcy. You want music, video games, movies? The sky's the limit. Anything. Anything at all. Sai uh, almost looks like he's engaged with all of this, but then the dad says, just one more stop first. And Sai puts on his 1985 Walkman headphones and says, one more stop? Great, sure. Yeah, okay, Dad. And Ern says, this is the last one, I promise you. And Sai says, yeah, that's what you said, the last five stops. Yeah, but this one's special. It's culture. It's class. 
It's got history and education and a rich foundation in the arts. So remember to tell your mother I took you. She thinks I only spend our time together for business trips. I said, imagine. You're too cynical for a kid so young. You need to lighten up, Sai. I'm going to take you where the dreams come true, where grown men get paid for acting like idiots, play make-believe, and occasionally wear tights. Simon, my boy, we're going to the theatre. And then the music kicks in, and the titles play, a very novel Muppet movie, and the car drives triumphantly through the city. Uh, it passes many glitzy Broadway-type West End signs for lavish-looking theatres, we see signs reading, Three Sisters, the musical, and Much Ado About Nothing, and then in brackets, Better Than Summer Do About Everything, and then Hamlet, No Pork, Just Ham. Lots of flashy signs <laughs> and Broadway-type shots. Doesn't even make sense. And then eventually, the, the car enters like a more run-down area. Uh, you hear Ernst saying, Well, it's less off-Broadway and more off-Broadway meaning it's gone rotten, off-Broadway, ha, 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 ah, you're a kid, you don't get it. And the car pulls up outside a very run-down-looking uh, theatre with the sign falling off and so forth. And Ern, you know, opening the car door, says, ready for magic time, kid? Really? This is the place where Steve Martin worked before he became a veterinarian. And Di is like, oh, Dad, give me a break. Tell you what, you go ahead and I'll just wait for you here. I've got my Nintendo. Nintendo? Ha! Did anyone ever see Chekhov playing? What, is he a Super Mario? Did Shakespeare have space invaders? Unlikely in both cases. Right, so let's go. So Ern and a reluctant sigh exit the car. You see, this is what I'm talking about. Where this is not necessary. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, uh, Ern and a reluctant I love it. Sigh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they exit the car, uh, cross the pavement, and enter the theatre's main entrance. A sleeping ticket lady snores behind the plexiglass and the father and son cross the shabby lobby. Uh, the posters are peeling off the wall, uh, light is flickering, and the carpet looks like popcorn vomit. They approach the doorway leading to the stools. Um, with Simon. By the way, I never said, Simon is played by nobody. <laughs> He's not Fred Savage, so forget it. And it's not the kid from Never Ending Story, so forget that. So it's some, some random loser kid. But that's okay. He's got a great career ahead of him. Um, so Ern um, saying as they're just about to approach the, uh, the main auditorium. Uh, and remember, kid, behind those doors are the type of highfalutin, mind-expanding, artsy-fartsy, Olivier-mining, verse-spouting, sonnet-wearing brainiacs who seem dull as dishwater to you and me, but some people really seem to like them. Just remember, these are artists, so keep quiet and maybe you'll learn something. The father opens the doors and they walk into the main auditorium and it's chaos, pandemonium, Muppets. It's Of course, it's the Muppet Theatre, which I'm sure it's no one surprised uh, in the audience. Of course, it's not exactly a twist. Full dress rehearsal, everything is in full swing. Madness, lots of crazy sight gags going everywhere. Chickens are squawking from the rafters. With a huge boom, a cannon is let off by Crazy Harry sending what might be a dog flying across the room with a whoop into the far wall with accompanying cheers. A group of pigs are singing Barbershop. Janice and Floyd suddenly uh, burst into the frame. They're chasing Animal across the seats. They leave the frame, then re-enter frame, going the other way with Animal now chasing Janice and Floyd. Statler and Wardoff sit in their balcony. Statler, boo, boo, this sucks more than usual. 
and Waldorf, yeah, boo, you call this a play? Then like a random Muppet, maybe Scooter from down, uh, shouts up at them, no, this is the rehearsal. Stammer, rehearsal? Then what are we doing here? Waldorf, these singers don't write themselves, you know, towards the stage. I've seen broken radios deliver more play than this. <laughs> and they, they, they laugh. Uh, <laughs> we meet Kermit, uh, we uh, earn and a reluctant sigh drag, and Kermit's, of course, pulling it all together at the back. Uh, we learn that Earn uh, won the theatre from the previous owner, who was Scooter's uncle, that's Cannon, in a card game. Uh, he owed Earn the uh, $7.50, uh, so I, I, so he accepted this place. i got to say, Mr. Frog, I'm starting to feel ripped off. So $7.50 was what the theatre cost in this card game that Earn won. Um, so Earn is now threatening Kermit and the whole gang with foreclosure on the theatre unless the Muppets can deliver on Kermit's promise that they'd for once put on a classy play based on a bona fide classic text. Uh, Kermit's like, oh, no problem, Mr. Gamp. For some reason, I'm going to call Mr. Gamp. Maybe it's because I like the way Kermit liked to say Gamp. Um, so Kermit then produces like a battered old paperback novel that he's been carrying around. He's like, see, here it is. I've got Weathering Heights, the tragic and dark tale of romantic obsession. And Ern says, oh yeah, well, what do you know about dark romantic obsession? And Kermit looks off and we see uh, Piggy being a prima donna rehearsing in the wings and shouting at a group of piglets in tutus. Then Kermit turns back to Ern and says, you have no idea. Ern starts to walk away and Kermit hurries to keep up with him to fall into step. But seriously, Mr. Gamp, this will be a serious theatrical performance you requested. And Ern uh, stares at him sharply. Uh, demanded. Gulp. Kermit uh, says, like, we have it all. Heathcliff, the moody loner. Charlotte, the intense heroine. The moors, the passion, the human condition, swollen with rage and longing. And where do the vampire geese fit in? Kermit does a double take uh, and sees a large windmill prop with a donkey stuck at the top uh, rotating and a flock of geese uh, waddling by carrying scripts uh, with fangs, uh, hence the vampire geese. One looks at Urn and hisses. Urn uh, is like, I may be new to this literature, literature malarkey, but I'm pretty sure Bronte never wrote about no donkey stuff up on a windmill either. And they see this windmill. And on the sails is a donkey who's uh, slowly rotating and he passes Kermit. And Kermit says, hey, you there, what do you think you're doing? And the donkey says, not much, but give it a minute. The wind's picking up. And he rotates up out of frame. <laughs> the Kermit now looks around him and sees an assortment of wildly contrasting props and costumes. Uh, we soon learn that there's been a mix up and everyone has brought their own classic novel to rehearsals thinking that this is the play that they were putting on. So we've got Don Quixote. We've got a lot of stuff. We see Fozzy uh, with Tarzan. We see Rolf with Don Quixote. We see a flock of penguins with the Iceman Cometh. And Ern says, that's not even a book. How are you meant to adapt that into a play? <laughs> uh, there are boat props and castle props and jungle vines, muskets, cannons, and swords and bonnets. Uh, Kermit and Ernst and Side see a group of shrimp muppets practicing for a big sword and sorcery number. Kermit says, Who ever heard of sorcery and shrimp? 
and a shrimp says back, what, you never heard of Thousand Island dressing? Uh, Ern gives Kermit an ultimatum. You get your house in order before opening night, or the only thing will be opening is the door to the welfare line. And you hear just off Statler saying, Oh, what a terrible singer! Oh! Uh, Kermit says, Yeesh, this is a mess. We've got too many classics and not enough time. And Gonzo goes uh, past being pushed onto stage sitting in a huge catapult. And uh, he says to Kermit, Like I told my third chicken, it doesn't mean a thing if you ain't got that fling. And the catapult releases him and he flings off, trailing a Gonzo laugh behind him, then a crash and the sounds of squawking chickens. Now, this may be a good moment for a song, though the Muppets will kick into verse. You know, so we're gonna do a play now, a classy little hey now. We got class and muses, cuts and bruises, a great big ending, but it's all make pretending it's a play now. With the whole wobbly Muppet faces and everything. Uh, hey, take a look, it's great to read a book, relax and have a thumb, it's always so much fun. Show some spine if you have the time With covers hard or soft With titles crass or posh We're gonna do a play now I really went off on one, Jim uh, I, I really, really went off on one So in, in all of this uh, Are we going to post that song? We've got to post that song It's got to be a huge They've got to write more than a few lines but that's Pretending huge. and ending, Sheffy You must have gone to lunch as soon as you wrote that line It's amazing <laughs> So so proud that was a triple sandwich you know just to celebrate that was that was big stuff um so in all of this and all this malarkey and craziness um Sai has been looking around very wide-eyed and freaked out and at some point he sneaks away and hides backstage uh, away from all the madness and mayhem and of course his father really hiding from uh behind the stage um he meets Beauregard um who's the the, the caretaker janitor puppet uh, who's sweeping up, and they have an exchange, and Sai just wants to be left alone and forgotten, but Beauregard with his broom is like, okay, but be careful, this theatre is pretty old, and has a, and a lot happens here at night. It's not a very good Beauregard impression. And Sai is like, you mean it's haunted? And Beauregard's like, no, it's used by the locals as a chop shop. And we see five human actor disreputable types just suddenly off to one side and they've got loads of like cars with the bonnets open and stuff and they're hacking and welding away at some of these cars just around the corner. One, uh, one of these is actually is a Muppet and he's dressed in a gi with a black belt tied around his head and he does a great big karate chop on top of a car. Yeah! And the car splits in two and the Muppet pants with this sort of wild-eyed fast, uh, satisfaction. Ha! <laughs> which Muppets do sometimes. Um, it's the chop shop. Uh, Beauregard apologises, but he has a lot of work to do. The upkeep here is unbelievable. And he opens a toolbox and says, gee, typical, wrong screwdriver. He takes out a vodka and orange. He rummages around, passing random objects to sigh out of his kit, you know, a yo-yo, a sandwich, a rubber hammer, a glass eye. And uh, Sai is finally left holding a miniature swordfish. And uh, Sai's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And the swordfish says, just watch your fingers. It's not only my quips which are cutting. And uh, Sai kind of gives it a look, sticks it in his pocket. And Beauregard's like, so see ya, but isn't someone going to miss you? And Sai looks out from behind the curtain and sees his dad, and he's already walking out, talking rapidly, either on his ginormous 80s phone or to his assistant. 
he's uh, marching out, trailing a big uh, cloud of cigar smoke and waffle. With big changes, big deals, big business. Uh, and his and is like in answer, like, is someone going to miss you? And Sai's like, not so far. So Sai, thinking his dad will come back and apologize, stays hidden. Uh, and for some reason, I see him sitting down on a big coil of rope, but he falls asleep backstage. And this, Jim, this is where the plot starts. <laughs> um, but in, in all seriousness, I think everything that I've described could happen in 10 minutes in, in, in the beginning of the film. That's fine. It's the 10 minutes set up. Sai falls asleep um, and he starts awake and the theatre is empty and everyone's gone. Sai is a bit panicked. Oh, great. No one noticed I'd gone at all. He goes to the door, but it's all locked up. He hears a noise from the stage um, and Sai... He, you know, he walks through the ropes and the curtain and miscellaneous pops and he follows the sound. It's like a clip-clop. Um, ahead, he catches the briefest glimpse of what looks like a real horse, uh, white, moving up ahead, uh, away from him. Sai uh, hurries after this horse, again, a real horse, deeper and deeper into the theatre. Following the horse, he passes cardboard cutouts of bushes and trees, a chateau, trimmed hedges, beautiful fountains, or uh, props and so forth. He then passes a real hedge and a real tree, and he hears a crunch. And he looks down and he finds that he's standing on real gravel, and sighs like, that's weird. And then we start one long, uninterrupted uh, shot, like a tracking shot, moving like right to left, following Sai as he's walking, um, and he goes past another fake tree, but then another real tree, and then another, and then he stops in an opening between bushes and branches. And as he steps out, uh, the lighting changes in camera um, from artificial to real sunshine. And we still don't cut a la Baron Munchausen, which I think I'm ripping off, as Sai steps out from between two trees, one real and one fake, and he's in a real courtyard, and he's outside, and it's 17th century France, and he's standing in front of this grand chateau, and it's a lion which for wardrobe moment. And he's agape, and he's stunned, and he staggers about, and he's in these lovely gardens past tall, immaculate hedges and beautiful sculptures and, and so forth. And Sai immediately runs into trouble, and he stumbles into a group of royal guards, bumping into the leader, and these are um, Muppets, I assume, it's not, you know, not famous Muppets, just nasty thug Muppets. Um, Spit, uh, or maybe they're real, maybe they're human, or maybe they're both. Uh, and he spills this leader's uh, leader of the guards ale, and also stumbling backwards and stepping on a prize swan. And someone's like, oh, "The king's swan!" And uh, Sai is about to be messed up by the ruffian guards, and they draw their swords. When three dashing here, uh, figures emerge from the bush with a quip, and we have a, a real hero shot. As we meet the three musketeers, and it's Athos, Aramis, and Porthos. Is Athos is Kermit, Aramis, which is the priest, the one who Charlie Sheen played in the, in the 90s version, is Rolf, and Porthos is Fozzie. And uh, Kermit, as Athos, is like, unhand that boy, knave. And uh, Porthos, Fozzie, like, yeah, no one likes a knave. Try to be more like a scoundrel. It's easier. Uh, there follows this wonderful sword fight. This film has a bit of a budget, by the way, because this is filmed in this real location. Sometimes it's going to cut to an obvious set, but stuff like this, it's all actually really proper 
Madame Pompidou type stuff. You know, they, they've spent a little bit of cash. I think the last couple of films, like Muppet Caper in this universe, was really successful. Um, so, of course, after the, you know, there's the, there's a, there follows a wonderful sword fight with the three displaying their wit, skill, and flippant ease with a blade, seeing off the guards. They introduce themselves to Sai, mistaking him for the expected Doctanian, Dogton. Uh, Sai, not wanting to argue, and we learn of their mission to deliver a vital lesser, uh, letter to the king. Uh, so Sai joins them and is given his own horse. And then we have our next song, as the three musketeers in Britannian Sai ride along through the French countryside, um, singing the instant classic, All I Want Is Fame, Glory, and Lunch Times Three. And they all sing that, uh, the three musketeers behind them, as they ride and sing along. Um, staying hidden, a lone figure follows on horseback. After the song, they reach a village, night falls, and they enter a tavern, High jinks with beer and busty Muppet wenches and real Muppet wenches. Uh, the one coming on to Fozzy is uh, basically a female Fozzy with exactly the same voice. Uh, there's a woman on stage singing very badly. Uh, Rolf Aramis uh, tries speaking to the bartender about it. Uh, here comes our first real cameo. I thought maybe the ticket lady at the very beginning who was asleep could be Debbie Harry, but I wanted to get to the action a bit quicker and not just have a stop and chat. So this is our official first cameo. And yes, the bartender is Mr. T, because it's 1985. Um, Rolf is like, hey, uh, any chance we can change the music? This singing is atrocious. And Mr. T barman says, that's my wife, fool. And Rolf is like, May I suggest introducing her to the clarinet? And uh, the glass Mr. T's holding like shatters in his, in his grip because he's so infuriated. And uh, Rolf looks at the camera and says, the man knows his music. Uh, meanwhile, Kermit Athos uh, spots the cloaked figure who is now watching from the shadows and he corners this person and uh, forces them outside, revealing that he knew that they were following him hardcore. Uh, in the dark alley outside the pub, the cloaked figure, in a melodramatic moment, pulls back the hood to reveal herself to be the untrustworthy, potentially villainous, but impossibly beautiful, the Lady de Winter, who is, of course, Miss Piggy. She has priors with Athos, and things get sticky. She says the letter giving uh, to the king is a trap, and she offers today to take the letter to the king herself. Uh, but Kermit Athos doesn't believe a word of it, and he's proved to be right, because this is the trap. The heroes are soon all surrounded by the villainous Cardinal Rishu, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, the heroes are captured and tied up in a cellar where they will be done away with. Sai has been tied up two to one side. Uh, he's been mistaken for a stable boy or some such. Uh, but as he's tied up, he discovers he still has a little swordfish in his pocket, and he uses it to free himself. He then sneaks across the room uh, to where the rest are being interrogated. Uh, Rishnu is uh, saying to them at that exact moment, prepare to die like a dog. And Rolf says, I resent that. Uh, Sai reaches them and manages, uh, without being seen, he undoes Kermit, uh, who then frees the rest. And then another huge and cool fight involving swords and buckets and horses and flames and fists takes place. The guards are subdued and Rishlu flees. Uh, Milady is cornered, 
that leaps from the top window of the barn uh, onto a uh, waiting horse, or top window of whatever they're in, onto a waiting horse. Uh, the horse is not happy with Piggy's uh, weight and makes a remark. As she begins to ride away, she calls back up to Kermit um, Athos, uh, until we meet again, mon cheri, when I will have my revenge. Sweet, sweet, violent, terrible revenge. Kissy, kissy. She rides off and uh, Fonzie's like, you know, her threat would be much scarier if she didn't end it with all those kissies. And Kermit's like, speak for yourself. I find the kissies terrifying. The heroes uh, continue on their journey. <laughs> whilst, they, <laughs> whilst they're riding, Sai has a quiet moment with Kermit, um, riding side by side. And Sai, you know, admits to him, like, Athos, I have to tell you, I don't belong here. I don't know where I'm going, what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a fraud. I'm a liar. I'm useless. And I can cause you nothing but trouble. And then Fozzie rides by. And as he rides by, he says, have you ever considered getting into politics? Ah! And he disappears off the screen. Uh, they ride to the next village where on the outskirts, they find a creepy looking castle and decide to stay there for the night. It is huge and appears deserted. Uh, so our heroes, they move to knock on the huge front door, but it opens first with a massive creak. Uh, inside, they find a huge room, a massive fireplace, a long table decked out with luscious food, as if they were expected. They all sit down to eat and are soon joined by their host. It's Count Dracula. It's Gonzo. Uh, he has three siren chickens, including the leader, Camilla. And we also introduced to his companion, his slave, is uh, is this bitch uh, Renfield, and it's a cameo by 1985's Bobcat Goldthwait, and some ghouls, including the vampire geese. Uh, Gonzo makes a joke about like to the camera, you know how close I came to being Cianaro Joe de Bergerac. Boy, talk about typecasting. Uh, things get weird fast as Kermit and Renfield have a fly-eating competition at the dinner table. Uh, Dracula Gonzo tries to get Sai, calling him Master Harker, to drink the wine. Gonzo says, like, although, truth be told, this is not wine. And Fozzie and Rolf have the cups, like, halfway to their mouths, and they freeze and stare. Um, and Gonzo's like, it's Dr. Pepper and grape juice. Wine gives me the trumps. And uh, Camilla and the other two chickens uh, nod in weary agreement. Uh, Rolf uh, says, uh, I suppose the doggy bag's out of the question. And uh, Gonzo Dracula then gets a song. Uh, Life works best when you're trying hard not to suck. Uh, and uh, our heroes retire to their rooms with moving eye paintings and shadows that do their own thing. They find a secret doorway behind a bookcase and follow the tunnel to a large stone subterranean chamber lit by flaming torches. There they find Dr. Frankenstein, played by John Candy, about to conduct his experiment. He is aided by Igor, which is uh, Dr. Honeydew, Bunsen Honeydew, who is, in aid, uh, who is in turn aided by Igor Seymour, who is Beaker. Frankenstein is about to pull the switch. <laughs> I don't know where Igor Seymour came from, but I like it. Um, Frankenstein is about to pull the switch to reanimate the creature when Gonzo Dracula bursts in and tries to get him to stop. Have you any idea the electricity bills you're producing? We're told Switch will bring too much attention to the castle, and Dracula likes to keep it quiet, because um, he, you know, he has problems with his neighbours. 
after a heated argument and maybe even a tussle between Gonzo, Dracula, and John Candy, Dr. Frankenstein, Frankenstein pulls the switch and things get juiced. The monster comes to life. It's animal. Uh, it has to be. has to be animal, I think. Um, things get crazy and he goes berserk, of course. The castle is lit up as electricity is struck. Um, and we see it from the outside, lots of electricity everywhere, and also a huge blue neon flashing sign saying, rooms to let. Uh, the locals in the neighboring village hear the commotion and see the lights, and someone shouts out, and it's a cameo. One of the villagers is Shelley Duval. She says, the castle, see what wickedness dwells within. And a Muppet villager too says, no kidding, did you hear that last song? Duval looks at him. The uh, villagers pick up pitchforks and flaming torches and storm the castle. Kermit, uh, Fozzy, and Rolf, along with Gonzo, uh, Dracula, and at least Camilla, one of his chicken brides, and uh, the animal creature, and Sai, and, and everyone. They flee from the hordes. Uh, one of the peasants, uh, dressed appropriately in rags, etc., so, uh, it turns out to be the Count, and he turns and directly addresses the camera in a nice cameo from Sesame Street. And the Count says, And to think I was worried about typecasting. One agent fired, ah, ah, ah. Two agents fired, ah, ah, ah. The Count cameo. The castle goes up in smoke, and the heroes escape. After fleeing across the dark landscape, uh, they stop in a small woodland locale, where suddenly they see a huge flash of light from behind some trees. They ride up and find H.G. Wells' time machine halfway up a tree, smoking. The occupant, the time traveller, falls out and lands in a heap in front of them. It's Christopher Reeve. They have a brief and hilarious interaction. And I think that's as far <laughs> as I got describing that one, but I think we'll all appreciate that. Um, oh, but Gonzo wants to make use of the machine and go back and meet his parents, just to find out what I actually am. Uh, the traveller reboards and disappears in a billow of smoke. Uh, the heroes decide to rest up for the night. They all wake up in glorious sunshine uh, in this little nice glade, and they all appreciate it. Kermit does a little double take as he notices Gonzo standing next to them all, and he's also enjoying the sunshine. And Kermit's like, shouldn't you burst in a flame or something? And Gonzo's like, you think so, right? I've been trying for years and not so much as an ember. Kermit reacts and goes to see if he can find some breakfast at the lake nearby. Gonzo is like, great, dragonfly sandwiches all round. And Sai is like, he's trying his best, there's no need to be rude. And Gonzo is like, rude? Dragonfly sandwiches are my favourite. And these siren vampire chicken rides Sai and nod again in weary agreement. Uh, they realise that once again they're being watched, and out emerges a young girl, uh, which, who is played by Peggy Sue. Uh, who, for those who don't know, is basically Miss Piggy, but with, like, frizzy hair, and she's another pig puppet. And she is one of the sisters from the family who own the land they have now slept on and invites them to the house, where they meet all of the sisters, who are all crazy, um, and the lead sister, who introduced, uh, who is introduced as Elizabeth Bennet, and it's revealed, and it's Piggy! And Piggy is like, Hello! How lovely to be meeting you all for the very first time! And Sai is like, ah, you also know lady? And Piggy Bennett is like, ooh, 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 yes, by way of non-explanation. And Peggy Sue is looking at the camera and saying, you'd think she'd let one of us get a juicier role. 
And the other sister is like, you're kidding, right? And Piggy's like, hmm. Uh, the mother pops up, um, who is apparently from Brooklyn. She's brash and fussy and constantly telling the girls what to do. She never shuts up. It's a cameo by Rhea Pullman. Uh, they sing about being sisters in a man's world, having to marry and not have a life of their own. They sing in the house and then out into the garden. Peggy, Piggy takes the lead and sings about how she's independent. She's her own person and she doesn't need, will never ever need, no, I'll never ever need a man like ever. And she is resolute and she, that she will remain single. Then before them all and in slow motion, Kermit emerges from the lake, white shirt, rumpled, damp, Darcy, bathed in glorious sunlight. Piggy's all over him. Uh, Piggy, as Bennett, Milady is like, she tells Kermit she's here to tell all of them that they should move on. Trouble's on the way. She's come to warn them. Uh, Kermit's like, well, why should I believe you this time? And Piggy is like, because I never thought I could love as I once did until I saw your subtle greenish hue, your sharp beaked mouth. I could lose myself in your itty-bitty ping-pongy eyes. And Rolf is like, oh, brother. Uh, with Piggy now with them, they all move on. Uh, we see the Bennett household after they've left. More horses arrive. Richelieu dismounts. Um, and, you know, Christopher Walken being pure Christopher Walken. Christopher Lloyd being pure Christopher Lloyd comes in and is like, Madam, to Rhea Pullman, a word if I might. And Rhea Pullman's like, only if that word's single, and uh, all the sisters giggle, and Richelieu smiles very half-heartedly. Uh, the heroes ride on. They pass a beggar sitting at the side of the road. It's Richard Dreyfus. Uh, he tells them uh, that there is nothing ahead but thieves, wizards, and barbarians to turn back from the dreaded wasteland. Uh, Dreyfus as the beggar. So beware, for this road only leads to the desert of just deserts. And Fozzie's like, the desert of just desserts? Food in a desert? But all I want is a sandwich. Ah! And Dreyfus looks at the camera. <laughs> um, they ride on and reach the desert. It is indeed a vast wasteland. Uh, a high uh, bird's eye view shot of them from very, very high up, walking through uh, the, you know, the, the sand and the dunes. This shimmers uh, and the image changes as we pull out to reveal that the view is coming from a crystal ball. Uh, we are now inside a, a large tower, high up, all stone. A figure is watching from within this room up at the tower. It is the Wizard of Oz, played by Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen is like, oh, the misfortune I see that will be all these fine fellow fools, be they fascist, philanthropic, felonous or fatuous, these flapping fops on their finite frolics, riding their fallacious foals. Bulls, ponies and mares, oh my. He banters a moment with a Muppet-winged monkey and then the Wicked Witch of the West, played by a frumpy, green-skinned Muppet with hair rollers and carrying a rolling pin, enters and the Muppet Witch of uh, the West uh, says, Hey, Oscar, knock off the illiterate hokum. You promised you'd take me somewhere special. And uh, Woody Allen Oz is like, Alliterate? Alliterate? Why, I tell you, madam, I spent the August of 74 through March 80 buried in a pretty riveting chapter of Nam Mela. Uh, Muppet Witch, you carry on with your carry-ons, you'll be buried with a closed casket. And then Woody Allen pause to camera. Boy, you can bet they left this part out of the pitch meeting. 
and we cut away back to the desert. Uh, the heroes really it's going off it's really really i mean i mean it it, it, I, it took over it took over jimbo i am i am the uh, the slave to this master um so we cut back to the desert the heroes meet the hordes from uh, arabian nights they are taken to a huge one a big tent and inside eating grapes being fanned by fronds etc is the sultan uh, Larry Hagman and his wife, uh, who's, who's Janice, <laughs> uh, who's smoking a hookah. And Janice is like, like, wow, totally strangers. Hey, guys, anyone want a fig? They're like totally organic and lush. And uh, Larry Hagman is a sultan, wants to marry Piggy uh, as part of his harem. Uh, he discovers her love for Kermit, however, and he orders a lot of them to be executed. Through clever subterfuge, they all escape. Uh, they meet the windmill-tilting nutter Don Quixote, who's played by Peter Cook, and have an exchange and ride on. They soon enter a dangerous-looking rocky area. Rolf uh, is saying as they ride into the canyon, hmm, nice-looking place. And Fozzie's like, yeah, I know, perfect for an ambush. Uh, the heroes are ambushed immediately by a large group of thieves. Uh, Fozzie to Rolf. How many thieves do you think there are? And Rolf's like, I don't know, between 30 and 50. Uh, they meet Ali Barbara, um, and it's Diane Keaton. I'm sure I didn't think of Ali Barbara myself, but it seemed, but I, I don't know where I got that from. So, uh, and a nice Diane Keaton. Uh, now the Muppets said our heroes are in trouble, but they're saved by the wandering barbarian Conan. Uh, and after a big introduction, everyone turns and it sees Sweden's, but then he steps aside and we see the real Conan, Rick Moranis. And I want to say, behind the scenes, it turns out later that they offered it to Schwarzenegger, uh, but he, he had no interest at all. And so they went the other way and got asked Rick Moranis if he wanted to do it. That's still behind the scenes. Um, so with Conan's help, uh, they escape and make it to the jungle on the edge of the desert. They journey through the jungle and are being hunted by wild animals with thick foliage. A song about leopards and tigers and tigers and beasts, snakes and horned toads and creeps. This is the place where the rats make a feast in the heat that the rest while they eat and they bleat. Uh, the song ends and all the creatures surround them menacingly. Uh, then Tarzan swings in and it's Stallone. Uh, after calming his jungle friends, Tarzan as Stallone introduces himself to be Lord Greystoke um, and invites them all to dine with him at the club when next in town. Uh, in, still in the middle of the jungle, a fancy car pulls up and uh, Tarzan Stallone gets in and he's driven off wearing a top hat. And then the idea originally was going to be that Arnie as Conan is going to meet Tarzan Stallone. It was going to be this amazing thing. But again, Schwarzenegger was like, I don't work with Muppets. So it, it never happened. Uh, the heroes leave the jungle and reach the harbour uh, and the docks. Lots of fish and shanties and smelly-looking one-eyed sailors. The heroes book passage and set sail. They meet uh, the first mate, Ishmael, who's Scooter. And the captain, Ahab, who's Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, Ahab Dangerfield is like, I don't know why I signed on for this job. I'm not a good sailor. I'm already feeling green to my gills. And Kermit's like, imagine how I feel. And Dangerfield looks at the camera. 
a song about obsession and revenge. We, uh, we all have a whale of a time finding the white way to do things. Be careful, don't step out of line, or you'll be dining with dolphins. Uh, a whale pops up, the whale pops up, and sings um, a bit as well. And in the end, uh, he gives them all a toe to land, making peace with Ahab uh, after an impassioned speech from Psy. Um, and, you know, life's too short for enemies. And Ahab's like, this whale has the hump, but I got no respect. And in song, it's, life's too short to carry a grudge, so just carry me. And the whale carries them to dry land, and uh, Ishmael Scooter decides to join them, and so the group continues to grow. They step off the boat, however, and are instantly surrounded by Cardinal Vishnu, Christopher Lloyd again, and his men. Piggy, I knew it. Men just can't live without me. And Vishnu's, I came for revenge. Pure, like Doctor. Uh, uh, Judge Doom. And Piggy's like, came for revenge? And me? And Richelieu, no, just revenge. And Piggy's, nice. Uh, Richelieu takes the letter from Kermit in sadistic triumph. And in a moment of staggering villainy, he burns the letter in front of them. Uh, Hewer Lloyd, Richelieu says, gentlemen, you failed. He sends our heroes to an island prison from which there can be no escape. Uh, things are at their bleakest, they're locked up and are hassled by a wise-cracking dungeon keeper, Bert Reynolds. And further, once left alone in the cell, they meet a fellow prisoner, Edmund Dantes, um, who's Richard Chamberlain, who helps them escape. Uh, they, their celebrations are cut short as they realise they've still failed and the letter has been destroyed. A flash of light and a billow of smoke, and Christopher and his time machine appear before them again up a nearby tree. Uh, Fozzy, boy, he really needs to work on those landings. And Gonzo, yeah, he's only halfway up. In a moment of triumph, Reeves reveals that he has the letter. And then we could even have like a sneaky flashback of their first meeting. And we now see the shot from a different angle. And Reeves slightly lifts the Koya rolled up letter from Kermit and swaps it out with something uh, funny. Uh, back to the present, and Reeves is like, you see, it was your first meeting with me, but not my first time meeting you. It's like, oh, man, I'm getting a headache already. Re uh, and Sai is like, but how could you know? And Reeves, being pure Reeves, cocks his thumb at, behind him at the time machine. He's like, uh, I, time machine? He leaves with a flash of smoke, and Rolf is like, now that's what I call leaving with a plume. And Gonzo says, and that's what I call leaving with a plume. And Gonzo points, and we see Reeves has now stolen one of Camilla's the chicken's tail feathers. Uh, Fozzy is like, boy, that time traveler shot got busy fingers. And Camilla the chicken nods in weary agreement. Uh, so the third act and climax, their heroes ride furiously and reach the court of the king. They enter the throne room heroically and dramatically, opening the double doors and striding in together, the group of heroes. Uh, a regal woman, Lily Tomlin, swoons and compliments Kermit on his heroism. Kermit to Tomlin, oh, you're welcome, and uh, you are? And Tomlin, fanning herself and batting her eyelids at Kermit, I'm a lady in waiting. Then Piggy pops up, yeah, well, keep waiting, sister. Uh, they are all about to reach the throne itself. 
when Richelieu and his men again burst in and again surround them all. Uh, that looks like there's going to be a grand fight. But then, from off camera, we hear the voice of King Louis XIII. And he shouts, Halt! Trumpets blare. Everyone's the king, the king, the king, the king. Uh, the king is announced with much hype, song and fanfare. Uh, Muppets and humans, the court, the soldiers, the royal guards and the assorted Muppet barnyard animals all part to reveal the King of France. It's Roger Moore. King Moore in the most Roger Moore voice ever. Bonjour. Sai comes forward and presents him with the letter. Uh, this is due to a kill era, Roger Moore, of course. Um, Moore takes the letter. Uh, Sai is like, this is for you, your majesty. Moore opens it, and uh, King Moore says, finally, after an age of longing, a lifetime of searching, and an afternoon of stern contemplation, I have the answers I seek. It's the recipe for his famous apple strudel hot dogs. They celebrate and eat and dance and sing. Uh, Richelieu learns from Sai, who has learned repeatedly on this uh, adventure, that there's more to life than scheming and sulking. There's a song that if you spend your whole life planning, snapping and being quite wormy, your dreams are just words, so live for the moment and appreciate the journey. And at the uh, grand climax of this song, and everyone's going for it, and it's a real check it out now, an animal flings his arms wide in song, bumping uh, the castle wall behind him, which then slowly topples back, revealing itself to be fake, a set. It crashes backwards, revealing backstage, and Beauregard sweeping up, and they're back in the Muppet Theatre. Sly is highly dismayed to find himself on the small, dusty stage again. Ern, his father, bursts back in and hurries down between the seats to the stage, saying how worried he was. I'd be beside myself, but that was the best musical number I've ever seen, Ern says. To which uh, Fozzie says, and I'd be beside myself, but then I'd have to buy two tickets. Ah! Sai looks like he's going to argue with his dad, but he then he looks at Kermit, who looks back with his pure eyes, and Sai turns to his dad and says a big, I'm sorry, I know you do sometimes try, and I only make things harder. If I try, will you try more? And the dad agrees. Sai then turns to the others, but Kermit, what about the play? And Gonzo, this is the play! And all of the Muppets and human characters, everyone from the journey, burst out from behind the scenes, and we pull back now to see the dusty stage, and as we pull back and back and back, they're surrounded by this huge area of space, which is just filled with all of these characters. Um, thieves and the uh, Alibaba's men, and the jungle animals, and the villagers, and the winged monkeys, and the white whale, they're all there, and all the Muppets. They're all singing for the final number, and it's a huge song, and it climaxes with this huge, epic pullback, and we smash cut the Statler and Waldorf back in the balcony asleep, but they then start awake, and Statler says, oh, the best performance they've ever done, and we slept through it. And Waldorf says, look on the bright side. With this kind of practice, we should be able to sleep through all of them. <laughs> and the credits then roll over the Muppets all congratulating each other and mingling with lots of comic asides. And at the centre of all of this, on the stage, 
surrounded by everyone, Sai and his dad, Kermit and Fozzie, Piggy and Gonzo and Rolf share this little moment that the key people play it. And in the pit, Dr. Teeth then turns to Floyd and says, I don't know about you, but I can't wait for the encore. Uh, and then uh, Floyd says, you know, they've got another performance in 20 minutes. And uh, you want to tell them or shall I? Uh, Zoot then pops up next to them and blows uh, a deep bum punctuation note with his sax. And we reach the end. And that's the end. I've got the taglines for a very uh, novel puppet movie. Uh, read between the lines is the, is the first one. Uh, the other tagline is talk about fine print. Mm, that one doesn't really work. And, and the last one, the Muppets are taking a page from the classics. They should have read the whole thing. <laughs> and there's my Muppets. So thank you for bearing with me. That was, that was big. So, Sheppy, for, I mean, wow. I've said wow probably every podcast, but that, that is now the new benchmark of wow. Like, holy shit, man. No, I mean, not only was I thinking at one point you, you are going to get a Best Original Song Oscar, <laughs> but I think now you might also get a Best Picture Oscar. I mean, that's like, even in, even in its best, like, the, even in the director's cut, at least, anyway, would be a three-hour magnus opus. It's amazing. Like, the set pieces, I mean, just stunning. The gags, Sheppy, I think you've got about at least 10 Stone Cold Classic Muppets gags. I now feel deeply ridiculous for even attempting a Statler or Waldorf because that was impeccable. You're fuzzy, impeccable. But ladies and gentlemen, the Miss Piggy is just unbelievably good. It's unbelievably good. It's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. I can't I can't wait for this to be out in the real world, Trappy, because Jesus wept. You've got a job with the Henson Company. Like that, that is just Holy I have God. to say, I, I, I feel like they uh, the, the Muppets wrote it through my fingers. I am just a conduit <laughs> to the Muppet God. I, I see Mr. <laughs> T like with a sort of a Friar Tuck-esque sort of robe on because he's behind the bar in, in this medieval sort of <laughs> setting, is. but with all the but bling with, with and the, the, gold. the full <laughs> beak and everything. Yeah, and yeah, the feather earrings. Uh, yeah, but that was that was my most enjoyable aspect was just that and who would play who and stuff and coming to a character and then uh, consulting the list and be like Ahab, oh Dangerfield, uh, it was that that was a lot of pleasure. So so thank you. And again though, that that it really got away. So I apologise for it being uh, a bit of an epic. But I think if they made that with the songs as well, you could make that tight. And make that like an hour forty-five, I, I would say. Yeah. Without the songs, a, a neat ninety minutes, because um, again, it's it's packed. There's no fat on it, so I think you could do it, even though there's a lot. I think it will. Nice, Sheb. So it's wonderful. Thank you, man. And uh, so what? So look, it's over to you for next time. All right. All right. Well, now I was I I, I hesitated in in terms of this because there are comparisons to the Muppets, which you will see when I say this, but I think the difference, the inherent difference um, between what these would be is very clear. So I think it's okay and I'm gonna have it now. Um, but Jimbo, um, 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's a sequel. I've kind of given up on looking for films not from the 80s. Even my Muppet movie, if any movie didn't have to be, you know, it could be 2001. It's like, no, it's 1985. But anyway, um, my sequel is to another 80s film, and it's, a, it's another bit of a classic. And it's another film, actually, that I think people often say that it would be nice if there was a sequel to. So my suggestion for next week's podcast, Jimmy, is Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2? Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a salty humdinger, and I'm all about it. Uh, and there's a so, nice Christopher yeah. Lloyd thread going on. Yeah, yeah, there, I know. And happy. that's a coincidence, um, total coincidence. I wasn't thinking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit at all, uh, but actually we're doing a noir season here, and um, we got to the point where it was Who Framed Roger Rabbit time to you know, really shake things up. And I was just like, in the first second, literally, it was the Touchstone logo at the beginning. I was like, dude, this is fight for a sequel. So, so there you go, Jimbo. Uh, Lovely. Cracking. I'm all over it. I have to have a think. But yeah, I might even rewatch that because it'd be fun to rewatch it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, nice. Well, I love it, Jimbo. Thank you very much. This has been an absolute treat. <laughs> and I wish we could have a Statler Waldorf sort of ending, like, you know, followed by the zoo. I mean, maybe we just got to get a little clip of zoo on the sax and just freaking leave it on that. But um, but otherwise, should nice. be wonderful stuff. Thanks, Baz. Well, lovely. Well, then, uh, this is the end of Shoulders of Giants, The Muppets. Shoulders of Giants will return in New Friend Roger Rabbit. That's that's how I've always wanted to end a podcast for the last week. Is thinking like they all should have ended like a Bond, but then again, no, because once is probably enough for that one. It's a bit of a mouthful, but there you go. Uh, Shoulders of Giants will return. Uh, have a very muppety Shoulders of Giants. Uh, who framed Shoulders of Giants coming soon? Uh, I'm all out of of zingalinga dingers. So, Jimbo, if there's a, a sign-off you want to throw out there, I would very much like to hear it. <laughs> I'm just watching you keep going forever. <laughs> I have no sign-off. No sign-off beyond that, Sheffy. That was perfect. I'll see you next time, brother. I love you. That's all, folks. <laughs> because, you know, Roger, you know, it's sort of kind of works. I don't know. That's the other thing, because I've always been signing off with the future podcast not the one we've just done like for you know, at the end of the Menace secret service i'm talking about like jaws quotes it doesn't make sense it's a mess <laughs> singling it's a ding, mess. thanks for the bling is the best sign off what a twist we'd love to hear from you please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.